Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast. Today I'm interviewing Jeffrey Way, the creator of Laracast and one of the original, wait, the original, one of the OGs of Laravel. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Laravel Podcast. This is season three, and like I said, I'm not giving you 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 crazy people episode numbers because I'm bad at counting. So this is the latest, whatever it is, uh, episode of the Laravel Podcast season three, and I've actually got one of our long-term recurring guests with me. I've got Jeffrey Way, the man, the legend, the creator of Laracasts, and one of the, the significant popularizers of Laravel. Man, half of y'all, more than half of y'all, when you learn Laravel, you were learning it from this guy. But what I like about this season is that you might know about what he's taught you. A lot of few people say, you know what, I, I listen to him every single day. I feel like I basically have a relationship with him at this point, but you might not know a lot about where he came from. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to sit down with Jeffrey for a little bit and kind of ask some questions about who he is and where he came from and wait. And Jeffrey, I, I have some I'm, I'm, some things I already have queued up, but I'm also excited to see kind of what's going to come up as go. But first thing, top of the line, say hi to the people. Um, and when you introduce yourself to someone new, not in our context, what do you tell people you do? I, I just want to hear your pitch. My name is Jeffrey. Uh, I'm a web developer. I've been doing it for about 15 years at this point. Uh, I run a business called Laracast, uh, which hopefully listeners uh, of this podcast know. If not, uh, it's dedicated to to education, uh, mostly in Laravel, but really just the the Laravel developers. So it covers a lot of the ecosystem that we use, like Vue and Webpack and HTML and CSS. It's it's, it's kind of um, it's kind of for that for that type of developer. You know, lots of sites cover everything. You know, they cover Ruby and Python and and PHP and Node, and it's like it ends up getting a little overwhelming because most people do have a focus. Right. So uh, that's why I created Laracast. Well, the interesting thing is, it, it in some ways it's very focused, right? It's it's the the video tutorial site for the Laravel world, but on the other hand, it's everything the Laravel developer needs, and so it's not just PHP, it's not just Laravel, right? You're covering right. front end, you're covering back end, you're covering process. It's got Git, it's all, and so and it's got PHP Storm. That's what I love about it is that you say like it's not just Laravel, but it is only for it is for the Laravel developer everything that person needs. And I, I love that. I love that you gave yourself the freedom to like say, well, you know what, whatever. I, as a Laravel developer, I write CSS, then therefore Laracast can cover CSS. Yeah, because really, I mean, as you know, Laravel ends up, it, it ends up being a big piece of the puzzle, but really most of your time you're trying to solve other problems. Yep. You're trying to figure out, oh, I screwed up this Git commit. How do I fix that? So, you know, it's it's Laravel is one piece of the puzzle, but there's there's countless pieces uh, that we have to deal with every single day. So yeah. it tries to cover all of that. I remember your talk a few years ago. I think it was at Laracon EU where you went on that whole kind of prepared rant about all the things that you have to know to be a web developer today. I'll yeah. make sure to link that in the show notes. You know, but... that that ended up being the most popular presentation I've ever given. I believe Like it. on YouTube, it, it has 100,000 views or something. It's crazy. That's I've awesome. never had a presentation that popular. So, so so now that you heard that, you probably know that if you are listening to this podcast and by some crazy, crazy, crazy reason you've never heard of Jeffrey, you've never heard of Laracasts, um, everyone else is obviously already kind of giving credit to this, but I want to put my voice behind it. I have said for years, since long before I knew Jeffrey, before Laravel even existed, Jeffrey Way is one of the best teachers on the entire internet, period. If you Thank are you, not man. subscribed to Laracast right now, go to laracast.com and subscribe 
I promise you, you'll thank me for it. And, and when you when you said that thing about like you know what we have to learn, it's I'm actually onboarding a new developer to Titan um, as of this week, and she just graduated her computer science degree, but she's been learning Laravel and kind of doing this stuff on the side. And so I did one of our first pairing sessions where you know I I know what her level of Laravel knowledge is, but this morning I was like, or last night I was like, oh yeah, I guess you need to learn responsive web design and you need to learn what media queries are and what rems and ms are because that you know I I thought about all the Laravel stuff she needed to learn and not all this other stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, all yeah. these things all together. So It's crazy when you think about how much we have to learn. It, yeah. Like we all just agree to it too. Like why yeah. are we agreeing to this? It's so difficult. <laughs> I, I look back and it's like for, for 10 or 15 years now, it's like every day I'm probably learning something new. That's why we have that joke that we all spend our days on Stack Overflow. Right. It's like every day you're presented with something where you're like, I don't know how to do this. Yep. You know? Uh yeah, it's well, a little overwhelming, but a lot of us, honestly, the first time, and, and you, I'll tell a little story about this in a second. But a lot of us, the first thing we do when we have a problem is not go to Stack Overflow, but we go to Laircast and see if you've covered it. And it's funny because in our in our Telegram chat, sometimes somebody will be like, "You know what? I need to learn this thing, Jeffrey. Please go make a video about that, so I can, so I don't have to learn it on my own." So. Uh, okay, so so we're we're starting to get into code, and I promise you that that was not what this is going to be about. So so we are going to talk about Jeffrey. So here's what I know about your story, and I hope that this is going to give us an opportunity to figure out where to dig in. I know that your parents um, were composers and songwriters in Nashville or in the music industry in general. I know that before you were full time in programming, that you did I'm guessing classical guitar, but I know it's basically professional guitar playing. And I know at some point you transitioned to web. I know that you did some web development teaching. You ended up at Nut Tuts, and eventually you you split off and created Laracast. So that's like the high level knowledge. There's so many spaces to fill in. So first of all, let's start out with growing up. My guess is that you grew up in a music family, and you were just into music at an early age. But is that actually true? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty true. Was it mainly uh, guitar? Or? Well. When I was, I started playing guitar when I was about seven. Uh, my mom was wow. My parents divorced when I was five. I'm sorry, um, but my mom was okay. Uh, but my mom was a professional songwriter in Nashville. So m- my earliest years, I spent like in music studios. I remember, like sometimes we'd be in the studio until midnight, and I'd be passing out on on wow. some couch while they were just in the, at this huge this huge recording uh, setup. It was very fun in hindsight, but at the time, you know, you're a little kid, you don't think it's very cool. Right. When in fact, it's actually incredibly cool because this is where some of the most famous songs that ever have been recorded. But um, yeah, that's how I grew up. So of course I got into guitar at a very young age. Both of my brothers played. So, uh, you know, you just kind of follow in your siblings' footsteps. And that's what I did for a very, very long time. Like mm. I got hooked. I, I don't know what it is, but like for kids... You never know what it's going to be, but there's one thing that hooks them. Everything else they, they brush off. But yeah. then you'll find one or two things that they just latch on to. And uh, guitar was that for me. I, I loved guitar and finding patterns. I thought that was the coolest thing with guitar. It's not like that with other instruments. But with guitar, there are patterns. There are shapes that you can play on the guitar. And yeah. you know, okay, if I've memorized this shape, if I move it up here, I can play that same shape in a, an entirely different key. And I always thought that was very cool. So that's what I mean. that's what I did. All the way through middle school and high school and college, I had a, a music scholarship. I mean, you're playing at seven years old. I mean, I, I didn't even touch a guitar until I was in high school, and I never got very good. So, 
was it very casual at seven and it never got really kind of significant until college? Or, I mean, were you pretty, were you the type where people are like looking at you at 12 years old being like, what, you know, is that 12 year old playing that right now? Um, I, I would sound like a jerk if I said yes. <laughs> no, I mean, it, I, naturally it starts off kind of slow. I had learned how to play a few blues progressions and things right. like that. And then the older I got, the more serious I got about it. Sure. So by the time I got to college, it was four hours a day in, in practice rooms and doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it, it just hooked me. And then at some point after college, it left. I don't know what it is. Huh. I always worry about that with with coding. It's just the the obsession that I felt for guitar right. just left, completely left. Uh, I have a guitar right here I'm looking at, but I just don't even play it that much. It makes me sad, honestly, but um, that's just how it is. That's I'm sorry to be set fascinated by your sorrow, but I'm fascinated <laughs> by this whole progression. But I want to I want to go back just a second. So when you were talking about being in the studio with your mom while she was writing, I'm picturing, and I've watched way too many movies, but I'm picturing this, you know, mom working hard to put money, you know, put bread on the table, and she's working late nights, and the kids in the background doing his homework while he's like kind of laid out on some couch in some studio. I mean, is it? Am I getting the right vibe there, or am I Pretty romanticizing? Close. Yeah, okay, you, yeah, no, you can think of a dark room with a huge. Uh, recording setup uh-huh. and yeah, them playing the same track over and over. They play the track for five seconds. Whoop, made a mistake. Rewind it. Play it again as they go through each layer. You know, the the singer goes. So she was a songwriter, but she was in the studio with the people who were actually recording it. Yeah, yeah. So she would do demo. Like for for songwriters, they they write a song and then they'll go in the studio and do a demo. Oh, At least okay. This is how it works in Nashville, and then that demo will be shopped around to all of the labels for. You know, she she was in Nashville, so it'd be shopped around to people like Shania Twain or right. Faith Hill or those types of people. Would she sing the demo? No, no, no. Okay. We'd get professionals to do it. Okay. And then I started playing guitar, and I wanted to be the one playing. Right. Of course, I wasn't even remotely good enough, but... And my mom let me know that, which which hurt my feelings <laughs> significantly, but she was, of course, completely right. But um, in my head, I thought I should be the one in there playing guitar on this demo. Yeah. With two years' experience, right? Ridiculous. So, were you? Was your goal to be a studio musician, or performance, or just whatever came? Uh, well, of course, I wanted to be like a rock star as a kid. Okay. But then, as I started getting older, I started like figuring out my personality, and I started realizing like, eh, I'm probably not the personality type to go on tour and right. and stuff like that. But I did like the idea of being a, a studio musician, where it's like you have your day job and you go in and yeah. you do your work, and then you, you go home and you can yeah. be with your family. Because I always thought like. Even when when I started, uh, I started dating my my wife in college, and even then I was still focused on guitar a lot. And I was thinking to myself, like, do I really, do I want to go on tour and yeah. then just not be with her for four months out of the year? Because yeah. that's that ends up what what happens if, if yeah. you're a, a touring musician. You leave for months at a time, you come back for a week, and then you're back on the road. And even then, I was thinking, like, I don't want to be away from my my girlfriend or or my wife yeah uh, for long periods of time so that's when i switched to being a studio musician but i don't know it just whatever it was completely left Hmm. that that obsession so i think about it a lot actually so it's not just the obsession that left because it seems like even like the the simple joy that comes from playing i mean because like it wouldn't hurt you. you 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 run your own business you could take an hour and just go play right now and the whole thing wouldn't come crumbling down but that's not even the first thing you'd do right now so it seems and <clears> maybe <throat> i'm reading wrong but it's not just the obsession that's gone is it even the joy from playing yeah kind of i mean i always think your your uh, the things you love will come back so i have right. this feeling when i'm older it will come back but mm-hmm. i don't know if it was because i was doing it from such a young age so seriously for so long that 
I burned out. I feel yeah, like it, it's it's the guitar version of burnout. Like I completely burned out on it. Yeah. And uh, it just wasn't fun anymore. So in this, I assume this was just a couple of years out of college. So it was probably you had gone from it being the thing that you pursued on your own to all of a sudden a more structured thing. Or is that not a true characterization? It was right in college when I kind of stopped. I, I was in, maybe it was this, I, I was in college uh, on a music scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in college, for whatever reason, it's like, you don't go to college for, for um, to be a rock star, you know, right. like they're going to have you either playing jazz music or, or playing classical guitar. And there it's like what's required of you is you go into a study room and you practice four hours a day to get the notes exactly right. With, yeah. with class. And, and even at the time, I remember thinking, this isn't why I got into guitar. I didn't get into guitar to play this piece from the 1500s perfectly yeah. uh, in front of a, people, in a bunch of people while I'm wearing a suit. You know, like that's not why I got into it. Yeah. And I think that somewhat ruined it for me. That's, and that's what I was wondering, whether it's the process of taking the thing that you loved, which is playing guitar on the songs you love in the way you want when it's your motivation to do it and turning it into playing somebody else's music with pressure in context that you normally wouldn't choose, you know, with the structure and the pressure around it. And it's like it's like some people say, like, I loved coding when it was my side thing. But once it became my full time job, it kind of sucked the joy out of it. Yeah. You hear about that a lot in, yeah. in, in tons of industries where it's like if you take your passion and then suddenly it's your job. It goes away. I, yeah. I've heard about that with photographers, where it's like yeah. they they love photography, but then suddenly they do it every day for a living, and they grow to hate it. I worry yeah. about this with coding a yeah. lot, honestly. Like, will I get to the point where I hate it and I yeah. dread it every day? I don't, do you think about that at all? All the time. It's, oh, it's I think about it all the time because I it's the same thing. I've, I've I have had that happen before, and I can't believe I can't think of it right now. But I know that at least in some ways, when I was doing some art, I had a little bit of the same experience. It was fun and it was creative, and when it became work and there's pressure to perform a creative act in a certain, you know, it was very difficult. Right. But for some reason with programming, I, I often tell people like, at least for now, you know, I've been back into professional programming for seven years, I think at this point, I don't see any signs of it, right? I'm worried about it just like you are. But like, for me, every new day, there's just a hundred things I could be doing that are fascinating to me. And I think maybe, we, you know, we joke about the fact that there's so much pressure on us to learn all these things, but maybe mm-hmm. the fact that there's so much Oh, there's so much new, there's so much open. And there's even within that, there's so much choice for us about like what we want to pursue that even though like we have to sit down and perform if our jobs are healthy, I mean, your job is you get to pick what you're doing. My job is I give everybody 20% time. We have that breathing room to like go and explore and be fascinated. Maybe like yeah. we were before it was a profession that gives us a little bit of that breathing room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. I, I think about, I think about it sometimes with school, you know, like when you force kids to learn, are you ruining it for them? You know, right. that's like that common, that common discussion that goes back and forth. And it's like, it's got to be this hard line to walk where it's like, you need to encourage kids yeah. to learn these specific things. But if you push too hard, you're going to ruin it because yeah. you're going to, you're going to ruin it for them. Yeah. Uh, I think about that a lot now that I have a daughter. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. I guess you just, you have to present them with, with lots of choices, lots of things, and then just wait to see what, what they really latch on to. Yeah, and really, really good teachers help make things fascinating. Like I think, I think the best kind of teacher, whether it's in school or even like I, I was I'm trying to remember what it was, but I was listening to somebody talk about being a good podcast host. Like the best way to make something interesting is to be like curious and 
to to invite kids along with this curiosity, right? Like to invite their learners along where you are helping basically infect them with like the desire to know more and the fascination. And so instead of like forcing you to learn this, you're developing within you like a a, a curiosity and a fascination. And a lot once you think about it that way, a lot of the best teachers use that language. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if that language would have clicked before, you know, we started thinking this way. It's the same thing for me. Once I had kids, I totally thought about learning in school a very different Mm -hmm. way. So yeah, no, I agree. And it's contagious too. who I think does this better than anyone is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like you don't even have to be interested in astrophysics. (laughs) Yeah. But if you listen to him talk, just go on YouTube and find any presentation he gives. He's so passionate and so enthusiastic about it that He'll be talking about something so mundane, and he will make it sound incredibly interesting. So sometimes I'll just go on YouTube and watch video after video of his because it's contagious. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. And it's interesting because it's it's a it's a two way thing. I think individual people can be so fascinated in uh, maybe relatively uninteresting thing that they can their their fascination can be contagious. But I also think that we can develop within us like a curiosity, and hopefully develop within other people a curiosity that makes otherwise boring things more interesting. Like I often have conversation, I'll meet somebody at a dinner party or something like that. And my wife will make fun of me because I'll meet this new person I've never met before who doesn't seem that interesting, but they are, they are very interested in something and they might not have the Neil deGrasse Tyson in them to make it sound interesting, but I can like spend an hour with them and like be fascinated by, you know, I remember meeting this guy who at first was just very like neck beardy judgy makes everybody else feel dumb but i was like there's something this guy is brilliant about he's a phd blah blah blah. and so i discovered that he cares about certain phase quasars blah 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 blah, and ended up learning about those things for hours and i don't care about those things but for those couple hours i was fascinated by it and so i think it's like an intentional curiosity that we can try to develop in ourselves that like helps us i don't know that's that's my hope for my kid is that they become they become curious you know yeah no that's great that's great okay so Studied music, went off to school. Um, I assume that you were majoring in, majoring in guitar performance. Was that what they called it? Music theory. Music. Was, oh, was, it was, oh, so you weren't even in performance. So the theory did that. Was that part of the the load? Well, I'm, I'm actually trying to remember. It was like performance. One was a major. One was a minor. Okay, got it. Um, it's a little bit of both. I can't, I can't even remember. But yeah, I was doing both. Every right, so day. you lost the passion in the middle of college. Did you graduate with that degree or did you switch to a different degree program? Or? I didn't even finish college. Oh, yeah. I dropped out. Yeah. So in the middle of all of this, I started losing interest and then uh, I started focusing on code a little bit. Okay. And it was funny. I remember talking to my mom about it and she was very upset about this because, of course, she was a musician and a writer. So she thought her kid was going right. to follow in her footsteps. And then suddenly I'm like leaning towards programming. And I was trying to explain to her, like, no, there's a huge amount of creativity in this. Yeah. But to her, it's just like, eh, code, 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 right, right, you know, right. very soulless. mechanical, right. soulless, not an ounce of creativity in it, which couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. But um, anyways, I started focusing on that more and more. And it's like the more I got into programming, the less I was into music. And it's just slowly, slowly faded off. So one of the questions I always ask everybody, sorry to cut you off, um, is when did you first get access to a computer and when did you first start getting into programming? Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to apologize because I was listening to some of your other episodes and everyone like got, got they got into programming when they were 10 years old or something. Uh-huh. Not for me. Not for no, me at all. My, okay. So my first computer wasn't even my computer, of course. It was, it was the family computer. I remember playing Number Munchers, which was this yes. old game. 
on the map. Yeah, I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, I was obsessed game. with number munchers. <laughs> uh, but no, like I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I would, I'll listen to DHH uh, interviews and he'll talk about when he was seven years old learning this old language that I've never heard of. That wasn't me, honestly. I didn't even show much interest at all until I was about 17, honestly. Yeah. And even then, it was like I, I w- I'd learn a little HTML, just enough to, to write a blog post or something right. like that. But I didn't have any huge fascination with code. I didn't know what it was, yeah. honestly. You know, I was focused on music. But I, I would say, like, so much of what I learned from music, I feel like, has crossed over, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. The whole yeah. idea of, like, looking for patterns and shapes and, and just the discipline to stick with something that you can't do and then suddenly you can't do it. Yeah. Like, I feel like that helped me. Uh, when learning programming, because so, so many things with programming, it's like you just have to sit there for four hours until it clicks in your head. Yeah. You know, I, I have lots of memories of in the early days. I don't do it anymore. But when I was young, I'd stay up till three in the morning just trying to figure something out because it wouldn't click. Yeah. And then I love that feeling of all of a sudden you think, oh, I glorious get it. revelation. I, I, I understand how this works now. And it's yeah. like there's no shortcut. You just have to sit there for hours until it clicks. It's a great feeling. I had that moment both with object-oriented programming and unit testing. And obviously, I've had much smaller ones, but those were both ones where it took months. And everyone would talk about the thing, and it would talk about the thing, and I just didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, it was like, what have I been doing my whole life up until now? Right. Okay, right. so a lot of people who have your story, and by the way, I want to totally affirm the fact that like, I think that if everybody said, hey, I started computers when I was seven, then it would be discouraging to folks who are just getting into it now. Like, There is plenty of space, and even Mohammed's you know, story a little bit, like had a little bit of like the later as well. I mean, there's 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 space for anybody to come in at any age and any time. I think that the really the the most significant thing is people in our generation. You know, people in the the probably I don't know exactly, but their late twenties to late thirties, probably somewhere around there, were like kind of old millennials, early or young Gen, Gen Xers or whatever. Um, I feel like a lot of us have a similar story, just because in order to be a full time programmer right now, it's likely that you got into it earlier. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had enough kind of history to be a full time programmer now. But that's not guaranteed. I mean, you're a full-time programmer and have been for years. Um, So it's cool to hear a story that's a little bit different than what we've had. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they talk about, especially since you didn't get to it because you had somebody in the family who's a programmer, you weren't taking classes. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, I was I played video games and I was, you know, my clan, I made the clan website or something. What was it for you? Oh, it was a um, so my parents were starting this um, because because my mom was a writer. They they had this idea for a business. I talked about this at, at the last Laracon. They had this idea for a business where um, aspiring songwriters could send in, mail in their tapes, right. and then you'd get actual professionals to review it. And they would they would actually record themselves. They'd go over the song. They'd give you advice. This was a long time ago. And then they'd send it back. And they'd been talking about this idea for a long time. And I remember it was Christmas night. We, we went out for Chinese food when I was, um, I don't know how old I was, 19 maybe. And we were talking about it, and I said, you know, I could probably build this website. Right. Once again, not even close. Like, I was so arrogant, so ridiculously arrogant. No, I couldn't build a site. But in my head, I was like, you know what? I could get a book, and I'll just figure it out, and Did you I'll know build any this for you guys. back-end programming language at all at that point? No. I knew HTML. <laughs> and when I, made H- when I created HTML tags, of course, they were in all uppercase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's it. That's, like, all I knew. And I was just thinking, oh, I'll, I'll go get... I'll go get some programming book. And of course, like when you think, okay, I'm going to learn how to build a website. I need a programming book. You're immediately presented with choices that you're not capable of, yeah. of solving. Like, okay, do you get a PHP book or are you going to 
learn Visual Basic or C Sharp? Do I try ASP.net? ASP. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what any of these things are. I don't know yeah. how to distinguish between a language or a framework. So I had no clue which book to get in. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I had no clue which book. I had no idea where to start, uh, even remotely. But it was a good adventure, you know, in hindsight. Do you remember what book you got? Uh, I'm kind of mad at this. My, my brother recommended I get an ASP.NET book. Oh, and yeah. Was, and you know what? Like, in hindsight, I feel like that was bad advice, not to throw him under the bus. Yeah. But I didn't know HTML. I, I knew HTML, but no, I didn't. Yeah. I knew how to make a, a bold tag and an italic tag. Uh but I feel like the advice should have been, okay, go find some kind of HTML and yeah. CSS for dummies type book. Learn that. Figure out how to create boxes and move things around. That's really step one before you even get to programming. Yeah. Uh, but no, I kind of started with, with ASP.NET and I was learning uh, Visual Basic. And then all of a sudden, like I'm trying to build this site for them. But going through the book, it's having me build more like little programs, like make a little calculator. Yeah. This little, and it, it's like making a calculator in Visual Basic really has no relevance to how you would construct a website. Yeah. But that's what I was learning how to do. And it was cool that I was figuring out like, oh, I'm making a little crappy calculator here. But it didn't get me any closer whatsoever <laughs> to building this website. <laughs> right. So um, then at some point, um, what did I, I worked in .NET for a little while, but then, hmm, it's been so long. At some point, I switched over to PHP because it seemed... Well, I switched over to PHP and I was kind of learning Ruby too. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people do that where it's like, you're not really sure. You kind of experiment with with a handful of different languages. But mm -hmm. yeah, eventually I zeroed in on PHP. But you know what? Actually, looking back for that website, it was built in ASP.NET, actually. Huh. I didn't know that. Just, That's yeah. fascinating. It was horrible. It was a horrible site. Yeah. No, I've I've written some ASP.NET in my days, and it was ex it was not exactly the same. But I was a PHP developer who got an internship at an ASP.NET site our, our, our company, and I was able to do most of what I needed to do as like building little reporting front ends for them in PHP. But every once in a while, I had to write ASP.NET. And walking into ASP.NET and Visual Basic, not knowing what you're doing, I feel like is Oof. not the same as walking into PHP, not knowing what you're doing. No, like, no. So it was yeah. That's I can I could imagine it was you, horrible. It's <laughs> so complicated. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Still to this day, I feel like my brother told me that just because he, he worked in the industry too. Yeah. And then like maybe he was like, uh, this is too hard for you, Jeffrey. So take a look at this book and you'll be scared away. Is he but, still um, a programmer? Yeah, he is. Okay, so he you've got it. both he music and programming in the in the family then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And my brother's a .NET programmer as well, still is this. Oh, he is? Day. Okay. Yeah, but he's so, the one yeah. who originally taught me Vim and PHP, so I can at least credit him for getting me in the right the right angle. So. Yeah. So why didn't you stick with .NET? How'd you switch to PHP? No, he taught me Vim and PHP. He switched oh, over to .NET oh, later, gotcha. and I just I was doing WordPress at the time, so I, there's no okay. reason for me to switch. So, okay, gotcha. yeah. So you and Taylor both have .NET in your background. I mean, yes, I know, so, isn't that funny? Yeah, I did .NET at that job and hated it. I was like, you guys are doing these crazy compile processes, whereas I can build this web-based front end in PHP to give them all the information they need. It's going to take me three days. It's going to take you guys three weeks and 15 compiles in this crazy environment, and I can write it in a text editor and get it online in three days. I know. That was that was the joy of PHP for me, and I was always amazed because not so much now. It still happens now, but especially way back then, 10 or 15 years ago, PHP just got crapped all over. It sure did. People would make fun of it. And when I, I, when I came to that from working with ASP and ASP.NET, it was it was really nice. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can just create an HTML file. I'll, I'll add a little PHP above the, the doc type 
And then it actually kind of works. Dynamic data. And it's like, right holy there. crap, this is really nice. Yeah. Um, I know people people trash that way of, of programming, but to me, it was like, wow, this is so, so much simpler than what I've been doing over here. Yeah. Especially um, if you'd written any ASP. Like I, I had written, I went from classic ASP to PHP. So like okay. at that point, PHP is glorious because classic ASP was like PHP, but not as good, basically. So right. that was an, uh, that transition just makes you love PHP. So I got, I can understand, you, you know, you crap on it if it's coming from somewhere else. But there's some places where you come to PHP and it's like the motherland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you got into .NET a little bit. You uh, mm-hmm. so you didn't finish the guitar stuff, so you were out on your own. Were you doing freelance web development, or what were you doing? You know, kind of to pass the time or to pay the bills or whatever for that for those first couple of years. Yeah, I, I did a number of things. So I started doing freelance web development once again, just so in over my head, the, the arrogance mm-hmm. of thinking I could take on these projects for people when I had six months of experience. But I started. Um, I created a website called Detached Designs. That that was I, I had this idea in my head that I was a designer, which could uh-huh. be further from the truth. You but that's both. what it started out as. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do custom web design for people. And I, I created Craigslist ads. And uh, nice. for some reason, they always got reported as spam. I'm like, they're not spam, folks. I'm trying to make some money. But anyways, uh, somebody eventually hired me. And one of the first projects I ever did, I think I talked about this somewhere else. I can't remember. But it was an earn site. What's urn, that? as in, uh, like when you die and you're oh. cremated, they put you <laughs> like in, yeah, ceremonial urns, a, a, a decorative, decorative urn. Yeah, yeah. Wait, decorative. is this the one where you were storing the credit card information? No, no, oh, no, okay. no. That that was another one. That was later. Uh, no, this was just a simple site. Some some woman out of her house was selling decorative urns. Mm-hmm. So morbid. Uh, and she wanted me to create a website to show them, and people could uh, pick the one they wanted. But was it again, dynamic was where she could like upload them to CMS, or was it just kind no. of? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's <laughs> no. what I thought. Just a whole bunch of pictures. No. Yeah, I was just proud enough to get the images on the page, honestly. Yeah. So I had like a nice, uh, probably using a table layout or something. Of Actually, course. no, I was learning CSS. I don't know. I might have been fancy there. Probably not. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, just a crappy little thing. I don't even know if I had pagination. Probably rather than pagination, I just created. If there were four pages forth of urns, uh-huh. I would just create four yeah. <laughs> uh, HTML pages to show yeah. them. But you know what? Like that stuff is good for you. Like everyone kind of has to go through that that process yeah. of just building junk. Um, I made a little money off of it, and I think she eventually abandoned it. But uh, that's okay. I was just going to ask if it's still online. No, so- I was hoping it. I probably could use a Wayback Machine to find it, but I can't even remember what the domain name was. Um, th- was that your? So that was your first paid. Project. I, I think I made 350 bucks off that. Nice. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm making some money here. This is this is the future. I'm all in. That's amazing. My my first uh, one's still online and I made 200 bucks from it and it's the same oh, it's, yeah? it's they sell flowers and uh, they sell daylilies. So it's the same thing. It's just daylily after daylily after daylily after daylily. Basic stuff. Table yeah. It's still on Well, mine's not still online, so you must gotta, have done it's gotta see a, if a much you can better find job. It in the way back way back machine though. We'll, we'll yeah, get that in the show cool. notes if you can find it. And then uh, I, I did a handful of things along like that, that those couple, maybe a year or two. Uh, I did one for like a Harvard sorority, believe it or not. I don't know why they contacted me on huh. Nashville Craigslist. Right. They were called the Harvard, I can't even remember their name. They were almost like an acapella group, like Pitch Perfect. It was something like that. And I made their site. They wanted all this hot pink and black. It, it cracked <laughs> me up. The whole site was hot pink and black. Right. Uh, that's fun. I'm, I'm trying to remember some of the other things I did. Was, it's been so long. It's amazing how quickly that stuff just kind of exits your brain. Yeah. 
But yeah, lots of little small stuff like that. So, so during that time, you decided you weren't going to do music anymore. You, you were still living in that area, and you were just doing freelance web development, and that was kind of your main thing. Did you were you working together with any other people? Is this were you married at this point yet? And kind of what was your what else were you doing in your life? At that yeah, point? at this point, I was probably twenty one, and I was still I was still trying to piece things together. So I didn't feel qualified to to try to get a job anywhere as right. a developer. Because even at that time, I was thinking maybe I should go back to school and actually learn this for real. Uh, so at this point, um, nope, I wasn't married. I didn't get married until 25, 26. Oh, okay. My wife's going to kill me. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember 2011 is when I got married. Yes, yeah, as long but as anyways, you remember the day in the year, you're good. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to remember the age. But uh, yeah, so I stuck with that for a while. And then I got a pretty big contract at least for, I call it contract, like it's really fancy. I just got a pretty cool job working for a, a company called Serona. And they create like all these medical, I don't I don't even know what it was. It was just all <laughs> these medical scan machines that right. they use. Those things that cost like $500,000 a pop. Yeah. And somehow, once again, they, they came to me. It's just idiotic why they would take something that big and, and give it to like a stupid kid who didn't know what he was doing. But wow. I, somehow I was like creating their website and I was even creating those... Um, little brochures and mailer that's where i learned about mailers that they would send out to 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 people so suddenly i was doing like design work and i was buying all these design books i could find um and then i was was suddenly like making a flash website for them which was the worst experience i've ever had that was my next question did you ever get into flash i got into flash a little bit and i hated it and i was so worried because back then i was thinking you know what this is the future like just to show you like whenever people say Where's the web going? I would have told you back then. I think Flash is probably the future. Everybody else would too. Everyone said it all the time. Flash is the future. Got to get into Flash. Yeah. It's like anyone who made just kind of traditional websites, it's like you can't even begin to compete. Because of course, every single client you might work with, they wanted music in the background. And they wanted like when you hovered over a link, they wanted a little sound effect. Yeah. You know, all that old school stuff from, from 2005. But yeah, I was thinking like, I got to learn this. This is going to be the future. But I hated it. I really don't enjoy that yeah. that uh, aspect of it whatsoever. And then as it turns out, Flash is almost completely dead at this point. Yeah. I didn't know I didn't know that back then. It makes so, you yeah. a little wary of uh, the promises that at JavaScript SPAs are going to take over the whole world. Kind of a lot of the sa- sounds the same as, as Flash did back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be true as well. I I'm not sure about SPAs. SPAs are like, one, on one hand, they're so cool. And they're so responsive. And then on the other hand, it's like so often they break and they don't work. Yeah. Or they suck up memory and I don't know. Never let it Sometimes go. I go to those news sites where there, there's SPAs and everything's fancy and you click on a news article and it slides in and it's like, okay, this is cool, but I'm not sure if this is better. Yeah. Uh, anyways, th- that's a tangent. But yeah, I, I spent a, a long time working for Serona and I, I that's where I kind of built up a lot of my uh, jack of all trades chops. Because I was doing a lot of design work. Right. Somehow I was piecing it together. Uh, and then I was doing web work and flash work. So I feel like that gave me this huge crash course in just general design and development that that I'm pretty grateful for. So during this time, you weren't playing music anymore. What were your hobbies then? Code. Like, I, I'm just pretty obsessive. That was my thing. Like, yeah. I once, like, like I was saying earlier with guitar, it's like, for a lot of people, but for me, it's like if you find the thing, you get hooked. So I got the bug, and I was really focused on that. Because also at the time, I I dropped out of college because I was no longer focusing on music. And mm-hmm. I don't know. College college wasn't 
a great fit for me personally. So I was still thinking like, well, I need to focus on something because you can't just drop out of college and deliver <laughs> pizza all yeah. day. So I did have the mindset like, no, I need to be focusing on something. So that was my day job was just during the day or during during uh, the evening, I would be reading books every single day. Huh. And then during the day, I'd be working on these little projects I got. And then slowly, like the the caliber of project grew and grew, took on some more fancy stuff, got a little more dynamic. So uh, yeah, interesting. So that is it's super interesting. I, I did not realize that this this was all part of your story, which is why I was excited to interview. So, so you you dropped out. I think you said you were sometime around twenty 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 one, and mm-hmm. you're doing this freelance stuff. What's the next big transition point? I assume it wasn't straight to there from NetTuts, but was it? I mean, where'd you go from there? <sighs> a lot of pro- like probably for. Four years, maybe, lots of projects that are just me or me and one or two other people that, that we tackled together. Um, but I did that for a long time. Lots of freelance stuff. I started like a little business to do that with um, one or two other people. And then I took on NetHuts as like side work because when I take on these projects, the, the scary thing is, you know, I wasn't at your level even remotely. So it's like I'd get a project, but there's no guarantee that another project's coming in once oh, that's yeah. finished. I remember those days. Right. So it was always this kind of terrifying thing. And then um, I started writing freelance articles. Uh, there was a, what was the site called? I think it's called freelancer.com. It's under new ownership at this point. But back mm-hmm. then, it was there were these websites dedicated to freelancers because it was the first time, I think, way back then when it suddenly became a real possibility that you could work on the computer at home. Yeah. And so suddenly all, you had all these freelancers talking about how to do things, and I was starting to write posts for them kind of for fun i actually went back and read some of them and they're so horrible one of them was like how like uh if you're a young freelancer you have to get an edge over the competition and the way i would do it was to make myself available 24 hours a day <laughs> it's so embarrassing at this point but i was like yeah if you're gonna if if they need me at two in the morning i'm gonna be available like some company's ever gonna call me at two in the morning but yep. that was my idea of like how to stand out because all the other businesses are nine to five but i'm gonna be 2 a.m. to 2 p.m. And uh, it was so horrible. It was really embarrassing going back to read that. That's the hard thing about like your ideas when you're 19 or 20 or 21. Yeah. On the web, they're going to be there yep. in 20 more years. And people can go back and find all the stupid crap you wrote or the forum threads you created where you're yeah. asking the, the most silly, uh, simple questions. It all stays. It never goes away. <laughs> it scares me sometimes. But um, yeah, I did that for a long time. So after Freelancer... Uh, the the owner of that website put me in contact with uh, Collis, who is the the founder of Envato, and I talked to him about um, NetTuts. And once again, I was like, okay, I can make a I can make an extra thousand dollars a month just right. kind of learning because I was already learning every single day, and then just showing people what I'd learned. And so I did that kind of on the side. I did both of them simultaneously for I'm not sure I can't remember a year, and then they asked me to run NetTuts, and I took over that. And then suddenly I was doing this whole other thing where um, I was focusing on on education and building up a, a platform, which I'd never done before. Which was interesting. It was fun. Were you still doing any freelance work, or did you transition to just a full-time NetTuts at that point? Well, uh, while I was writing for NetTuts, I was still doing both. But then when right. I transferred over to... Actually, no, I managed NetTuts for a while, maybe a year or two while I was still doing both. And then I started taking on more roles at Envato. Yeah. I was I was helping out with um, some of the marketplaces that Envato has, like Graphic River or Theme Forest or Code Canyon, and I was really starting to focus more 
in that area. So I stopped doing freelance stuff, which I was very happy about. Yeah. It's, it's a hard life yeah. doing um, freelance stuff on Craigslist. It's hard work. I, I don't want to talk too much about me, but I did the freelance in that same world. And I actually, that was part of the reason that I left web for half, half a decade. I don't even know how ever long for a long time oh, yeah? because I hated freelance. I hated that pressure to always come up with the next work. I just wanted to do good work. Right. And like it's, you're doing good work and convincing more people you can do good work and finding the people to convince and worrying about your finances all the time. Right. And so mm-hmm. like the, the, the promise of just stability is is something that I don't think that a lot of people kind of speak up about enough. You're just like, yeah, there's going to be a paycheck and you get to just worry about doing the thing you want mm-hmm. and let somebody else worry about getting the work coming in. Yeah, so. it's, it's so much more stress. If, yeah. you, if you have a traditional job, you go there nine to five, you get your paycheck, you're good. Once you leave work, you don't think about it again. Yep. Uh, but when you're freelancing, it's like, yes, you're doing that work. But when you're not working, you're stressing about how you're going to get more work and how yep. you're going to pay next month's rent. Because every month on the first your income goes back to zero. Yep. And now you have to figure out, okay, how do, how do I pay the rent this month? Yeah. And then the next month goes back to zero. Everything resets. It's, it's, yeah, it'll wear you down for sure. Yeah, so you transition, you're full-time at Nat Tutson on Vado. So outside of the things with like the the um, the other properties, just your work at Nat Tuts, what was your day-to-day like at that point? Like what kind of stuff were you responsible for? Yeah, um, at Nat Tuts, my main role was build up build up this product. Got it. Uh, and, and at its prime, NetTouch actually got very big. It makes me sad because they've changed it a lot, and I don't think it's as popular anymore. I don't visit it as much anymore because they kind of merge. The whole idea with, um, to give you a quick recap, they they launched this tutorial site called PSD Tuts, which was like Photoshop tutorials, right. and it was huge. Yeah. And then they started branching, and they're like, well, maybe we should do the same concept for web development. So yeah. they had NetTouch. And then they're like, let's do another one. Let's branch out. And they kept branching out over and over. But all this time, I was really focused on NetHuts. That's all I cared about. And then they decided, probably correctly, like we need to merge everything into this one cohesive whole yeah. where people can learn anything. And it makes sense. But then also from from my perspective, it's like, well, I don't care about Photoshop tutorials or craft right. tutorials. But now you've merged everything together, and I no longer feel like the site is for me. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they had to do it. You know, looking back, they, they had no choice. They had to do it because they were maintaining a dozen different tutorial sites and each one of those were their own WordPress installations. Yeah. So when you would make a change, like I'm pretty sure they were having to make that change 10 different times across each installation. Yeah. It's horrible. Uh, so it made sense that they merged it. If, if there was a technical consideration, it does make you wonder whether some aspect of like multi-site might have ended up being something so you can make the right business decision without allowing the technology to make the call for you. But who knows what it, all it was involved in that decision. So Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, anyways, so a lot of my day-to-day was suddenly I was an editor. You know, I'd never done any of this. So often in my life, I've gotten thrown into things that I wasn't at least bit qualified for. <laughs> uh, that might be my fault, just saying like, oh, yeah, I can do that, of course, uh, when I when I had no clue what it meant to be an editor. But suddenly I was, I was um, doing a lot of writing on my own, but also finding writers and working with developers mm-hmm. and figuring out how that plays and editing their work. Suddenly I was like editing the writing of people 20 years older than me, which was crazy. Yeah. And one of the coolest things about this though, I found was that like back then I had the, this idea of like my heroes, web developer people I really looked up to, Yeah. but I'd never contacted them before. And then suddenly I realized they're just people exactly like you and me. Yeah. Like in no way, shape or form are they like actors, celebrity types. They're just regular people 
And if you message them or email them or tweet them, they're really friendly and, and they'll reply back. And that was a very cool thing for me because it was like, oh, I've read all of your books. Right. I know you. Like I, You taught me how to, how to write CSS. Yeah. And then I contact them and they're pretty cool. And then suddenly they were writing for NetTouch. I would get them to, to contribute articles and stuff. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, it was a fun experience. I, I did that for about five years. And then throughout that whole thing, I ended up taking on a bunch of roles uh, at Envato. So I was doing a lot of things, but I, once again, I just kind of burned out. Yeah. I think it's good as much as you can to sometimes switch to new things, to always have new projects you're working on. And I think sometimes if you stick with exactly one project, uh, it starts to wear you down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, I always, I like talking to kind of independent creators and founders to try and figure out like, what is, what are you able to do to ensure that this one thing that you're working on doesn't just kind of burn you out? Cause so one of my, one of my buddies, Matt Green, he, he went from working at consultancy, we worked at the same consultancy to now he's the sole tech and web guy at this very large, you know, multinational corporation. And so on the one hand, he gets to do really creative things. He's on a single project and he gets every time a new tech comes out, he's like, cool, I'll throw it in here if it's useful. So he gets to use tech that I might never get to use because I never hit a project that has it. But in the same token, he's on that same project every day for years. And so I'm always curious, like, what does it look like for somebody who's in that kind of a space to make sure that you don't get bored of working on it? So I know for you, one of the things that you do is redesigns. Um, and obviously also <laughs> you've got the content, right? When you, when you cover a new piece of content, maybe you're not applying that content to the Laracast's code base, but you're writing little sample projects and stuff. But what in your day-to-day with Laracast does it look like to help yourself kind of get that shift or are you not able to get it? And at one point you're going to shut Laracast down and we'll all kind of fall into despair. Um, probably fall into despair. <laughs> no, uh, I try to have a lot of variety because I think once again, like Laracast is my main product. So I do think about that. What, what if you burn out on it? But I think what's helped me a lot is having lots of different things. So it's not just like I focus on the Laracast code base and I don't just focus on content for Laracast, which often is like creating demos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also like I have open source projects that I maintain. So I have like d- lots of different little projects where it keeps me interested, I think, where I can say like, okay, today I'm exclusively focusing on Laravel Mix. Yeah. And that is completely different than the type of code I write for for Laracast. And then if I'm done with that, then I will completely focus on some demo or something, which is really fun. Like most most developers don't get the opportunity to to just tinker because yeah. you have a job, you know, you, you have to you have to get the job done. You don't always have the ability to to try out some new language or tool. But Laric has kind of affords me that, where I can dedicate a day or two a week, or at least a half day, uh, a couple times a week, and just tinker around, try out new stuff, see yeah. how it works. Uh, so I, I'm really fortunate for that. I mean, you could build a whole clone of Facebook and basically call it, you know, a part of the development process. Like, Absolutely. Or a whole forum software or whatever. And then at le- and it's legitimate, too. Like, you're even, it, you could, honestly, you could build the whole thing and not even make any videos about it, and it would have expanded your brain or give you some perspective that nobody else would yeah, have had. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's cool. And so often, the, the content I do for Laracast is usually the result of actual coding work I'm doing. Yeah. So, like, the, um, about a month ago, uh, I implemented this really sweet new Algolia search into Laracast where it's, like, live on the fly. It's really great. Um but I was like, okay, I have this figured out. Most people don't have it figured out yet. So those are a perfect two or three videos that I can do for the site. Right. And I feel like those are the best types of content I can do because, I don't know, it's, it's really hard as a teacher. I know you don't want to get focused on this too much, no, but it's good. real quick, it's good. as a teacher, if you're too separated 
from the person yes. learning, they can't under like the things you take for granted and yep. the things you don't even realize you take for granted, they don't take for granted. So you'll use terminology that's just part of your your everyday speak, and they don't know what it means. Yeah. So it's like you sometimes need to be like it's that same thing where in school sometimes the kids sitting next to you can teach a concept way better than the teacher can. Yep. It's that same thing because like they're on your same same wavelength and they know where you're struggling. Uh, so I always worry like if the more I figure things out and the better I become the further separated I am from somebody who's just learning PHP for the first time. Yeah. And I, I have to deal with, I get this a lot where somebody's like, slow down, you're going too fast. Or other people will say, you're going too slow, speed up. Right. Or somebody will say, you keep using fancy jargon. And I hate that, that idea of using fancy jargon. And usually it's just, it's the term for this. I'm, I'm not trying to show off here. It's just the term for it. But I forget, oh, you don't know what that term is. Yeah, so these are the things I always end up thinking about when I, I create content for Laracast. So it's very hard. It's very hard to walk that line. Um, I've talked with, asked Taylor a lot about what are the steps that he takes to make sure that, like, as he's updating the documentation, he can put himself in the mindset of a new learner. It sounds yeah. like one, one of the things you're saying is when you learn something, that's the best time to teach it, right? When you're trying a new thing because you're closest to the, to the wire of the learner. Are there any other things other than putting yourself in a learner's posture, you know, by learning new things or any other things you find that you do that helps you kind of remember that perspective? That perspective of what makes it easier to learn? Well, yeah, that and just, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You know, are mm -hmm. there relationships you have or comments, threads that you look at or postures you take or mental exercises or something that helps you? keep yourself grounded to the experience of the person who opened up Laracast for the first time yesterday versus who's been with you for the last X years. Yeah. Um, nothing that, that I, I could describe. Yeah. I don't think it's usually just trying to remind myself to assume, don't assume too much. Yeah. I don't know. I, I love that phrase, uh, explained to me like I'm a five-year-old. There's actually a, a Reddit, a Reddit group for that, that I always read. And the, the whole concept is explain this thing to me like I'm a five-year-old and it'll be anything. It'll be politics or, huh. or anything related. And I love it because everyone who replies is very friendly and they just explain it perfectly. They don't use anything too fancy. They're not trying to show off. They're not trying to make you look stupid. They're just trying to explain this concept to you. So that's what I, I try to do as best as I can. But I'm pretty sure many times uh, I completely fail. Sometimes people will cancel their accounts and just say it was way too hard. Yeah, It makes I mean... me sad. But, you know, that's how it is. Like, with Laracast, like, I'm training people who have six months of experience total, and then also working professional developers watch the site, too. And yeah. the, the understanding they have about code couldn't be further apart. So how do you do a video that appeals to both of them? It's very, very difficult. Yeah. I mean, you do it masterfully, but I, I, it's cool to hear that it's just a, it's an ongoing process of trying to be mindful and trying to figure it out and recognizing you're not perfect at it, but you know, you kind of have what you have to give and that's, that's all there is. Yeah. I I, I try to take the, the approach of this is what I've figured out. Could be right. You know, I, I'm not trying to say this is the right way. I really hate that idea, but it's, this is what I've figured out at this moment uh, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. But yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. Okay, so we had talked about um, you were spending your time in NetTuts, and you were while it was NetTuts. So while it was NetTuts, uh, I I followed it religiously. So I should remember this, but I know it's covering front end web development and a little bit of design stuff like that. How much did NetTuts get into the back end? Uh, a decent amount. We um, once again for a site like that, you can't just do 
everything. Right. Because the more you, you stretch and it's like, we're going to cover every element of web development, it's that exact thing again where it's like, well, now nobody really cares mm-hmm. because there's a one in 20 chance that an article is going to be relevant to them. Right. So we predominantly focused on PHP and then HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Yeah. But then sometimes we would branch out to, yeah. to Node and Python. But those were always like every once in a while. But you got to keep the core of a, a specific type of developer. So I definitely learned that from from, from NetTouch. But so yeah, we did. Go ahead. Uh, when, did, when did you get started doing videos? At NetTouch. Uh, no, actually, before then, uh, when, when I launched that little business called Detached Designs, mm-hmm. where I was doing my own stuff, even then, I would record. I, I, I was learning ASP.NET, and there was this guy named Joe Stagner. And on the ASP.NET website, he would record videos uh, for learning ASP.NET. And it was so beneficial to me. Uh, for, for whatever reason, you either have a, like a visual... You either, yep. You're either a visual learner or you're not. Yeah. And I realized when I would watch him, I would learn so much more than reading these books. So I started doing the yeah. same thing. So you could probably track down really old videos of mine where I was teaching ASP.NET. Please don't, because they're horrid. They're unbelievably horrible. I got to find uh, one to put it in the show notes. <laughs> they're really, please don't, because it's really, really bad. It was probably recorded at like 600 by 400 and really blurry. Yeah. People forget, we take the the idea of a clear code screencast for granted. Yeah. It was not easy to do that. Yeah. YouTube can do that, all of them. But way back then, you would upload like a, a screencast to YouTube, and they would compress it so much that you couldn't read it, even yep. at the top quality. It was a, It was a serious issue that a lot of people had. Uh, unless you could afford to to stream at the high quality, but then most people didn't have fast enough bandwidths to to watch it. So it was an actual thing people had to worry about back then. Uh, but yeah, I was I was recording these detached designs, uh, video tutorials on ASP. It feels like another world, but yeah. that's when I got started. When was that? Maybe uh, two thousand three, two thousand four. Okay, right around there. I was yeah. gonna say it. It didn't seem like you had started at NetTuts because by the time you were doing them there, you seemed really accomplished as a as a presenter. But I didn't know whether that's because you'd been doing it prior or whether it just comes, you know, that naturally to you. Um, I don't know. Maybe a little of both. Yeah. I think sometimes people give me a little too much credit. I'll see this on Twitter a lot, where somebody will say. Uh, I have a lot more respect for Jeffrey now because I just tried to record a video tutorial and my gosh, is it hard? And I think they're thinking I hit record and then I just fluently go through the whole thing. Right. And then 30 minutes later, I hit stop. And that's not the way it works. Uh, I probably make 50 mistakes over over that course. And then I just chop them, chop them up during uh, the edit. So, but I think other people think if I screw up, I have to start all over and record yep. again. And it's like, no, it, it's very, very difficult to to do that fluently with code. Very, very difficult. And that, Almost impossible. It's so valuable to hear that because I've, I've done some videos before. And when I felt like I had to do it the whole way, especially you're talking 5, 10, 15 minutes, there's just no way. I mean, you could script it. You can practice it 15 t- times and you're still going to make mistakes. And when I first bring somebody on the podcast who's never podcasted before, one of the first disclaimers I have to make is just because you hit the record button doesn't mean you now have to be like you're in front of a TV camera live. Like, this isn't live, which means you can just flub it and you can say, oh, you know what? I want to say that again and I'll just edit it out later. Like that's all possible. Right, we just right. don't it's think about seconds. that by default. I know you, you think you're like on camera doing the weather or something and you have to get it perfect. Right. Nope. Nope. I make so many mistakes. If, if you would see my, my screen flow uh, program after I'm done editing, there's there's a hundred different cuts. Sometimes uh, sometimes I'll say uh too much, which mm-hmm. which I hate. I'm probably doing it here like crazy. I hate that. I always try to edit that out. 
little things if I pause too long. Like sometimes you're, you're coding something and I'll be recording and it won't work. And it's like, right. oh, that's supposed <laughs> to work and it's failing. And then you'll see two minutes of silence on the video once I'm done and I just edit that out. And then suddenly you think, oh, Jeffrey figured oh. that out in four seconds. Yeah. But no, it took, it took a few minutes to, to figure out what the problem was. I remember when I started first started Twitch streaming, I was just, you know, I said, you know, this is an antidote to anybody having a, a having any elevated concept of me because you watch how much of my time is spent reading documentation and stack overflowing and beating my head against a simple typo that everybody who watches the video will notice. But it wasn't in my brain at that moment. And I go back and I'm like, oh, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I exposing how stupid I am to the whole world? <laughs> Yours were good, too. There's, there's definitely a charm to that, though, as well, because yeah. I love to I wish you would do them. More, I know Adam does uh, some. I don't think he's done any recently as well. Yeah. But there's a charm to that approach too, because everyone knows that that's part of it. And there's fun watching a person figure something out. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to Reddit. We're going to read the documentation. How do I do this? Like, there's a charm to that as well. It's just for Laracasts. I'm trying to keep it a little more condensed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, I think you need both, actually. Yeah. Once again, people may watch a video and think I'm way more talented than I am. It's like, no, I'm, I'm piecing things together. You just don't see the part where I went to Reddit. Right, right. Because uh, something didn't work. That's cool. Okay, Not so. Not Reddit, Stack Overflow. Yeah, Stack Overflow. Okay, so NetTuts, eventually they gathered everything together in one space. And at that point, you started feeling like it wasn't something you could buy in on as much. Um, that probably planted a seed in your brain to start moving on to something else. And around this point, I assume that you had made some connection to Laravel. Um, but I remember that for me and a lot of other people, the, the Jeffrey Way, who we've learned to trust over years, giving his really strong backing to Laravel pretty early was a big part of us being willing to kind of make that jump. Can you tell me a little bit about what your early exposure to Laravel looked like? Yeah. So I left PHP quite a bit at that point. Other than one or two lingering projects I had, I was mostly doing Ruby work. I was doing a lot of um, Ruby, some Sinatra stuff, some Rails stuff, and it was great. I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I came across Laravel. This, right, this would have been right at the end of Laravel 2, maybe? I don't know. The, the time span between Laravel 1 and Laravel 3 was actually really short. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Laravel 4 to Laravel 5. We're talking months. Yeah, months. So I think I more or less got in right when he was working on it. And I guess he was promoting Laravel 3 at that time. So I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And immediately I noticed that the branding was really good. And the design was great. And you just didn't see this much back then. Yeah. People think about it a little more now. But back then, it just it wasn't very good. Uh, and suddenly I was like, oh, this branding is right on point. The, the layout is good. I'm reading through the documentation. It's really well thought out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give this a go. So I started tinkering around with it. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is great! This works really, really well." It has a lot of nice. what I like from Sinatra. Uh, it has a lot of what I look like from Rails. I, I would love to know how much Taylor experimented with these other frameworks when building Laravel, because my instinct yeah. is he didn't do it that much, but then he must have, because Laravel has some of the best components of each of these. Uh, it has active record, of course, from Rails. Some of the, right. the routing syntax from Sinatra was was very similar in Laravel. Uh, so I kept tinkering with it more, and I started becoming more and more outspoken. And I was participating on the... There used to be a Laravel forum, a dedicated Laravel.com mm-hmm. forum. It, it doesn't exist anymore. But uh, I, I was asking a question there, and Taylor immediately responded, and he was really nice. It was the first time I ever talked to him. 
And he said something like, if you need any help whatsoever, just let me know. Glad to help. And I was like, oh, this is really friendly guy. Right. Created a great product. I'm immediately talking to the owner of it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go. And it just kept getting better and better. So the more outspoken I was, uh, because I was still working at NetTouch at that time, uh, I was able to kind of give Laravel a really big push. And suddenly I was doing Laravel tutorials and videos. Yeah. And I like to think I, I really helped Laravel get a, a push in the early yes. days. So, um, yeah, it was great. Okay. So NetTuts, Laravel, what was the process like of deciding to leave NetTuts? And what was the process like of deciding to found Laracasts? And how connected were the two? Okay. Very connected. Um, too connected, probably, in hindsight. The, I was getting to the point with Envato where I was, I was feeling that burnout a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I was starting to notice things where it's like I didn't like, and I, I bet a lot of people have this with their companies, where you start to feel like your opinion isn't actually factoring into decisions. Yep. Uh, I think as a manager, you have to be very careful of this, where if you feel, if you make a person feel like their opinion isn't really relevant, or you make them feel like, okay, thanks for your opinion one, in one ear out the other. And I was starting yeah. to feel that more and more. Or it, maybe, maybe it was just in my head, but... I wanted to have more control over the direction of things. And I was starting mm-hmm. to get the hint, like, it's not going to happen. And so I started thinking, well, what if I made my own NetTuts? But it would be focused on Laravel, because I'm really into Laravel right now. It's great. I'd love to give that a push. I can do that on the side. In my, in my warped head, I was thinking that would be okay, but it's a huge conflict of interest in hindsight. Right. But on, on the side, I was building up Laracasts. Uh, while still running NetTouch and, and doing all the stuff at Envato. And then at one point, yeah, I, I launched Laracast and I kind of had to put in my notice at Envato because we decided it was very much a conflict of interest. But yeah, so they were very, very connected. But the big idea for me wasn't just to, to build Laracast. It was just to have something where I had more control and where yeah. I felt like my opinion actually mattered and where I could say, this is what I want to do. And then suddenly the next week, you're actually it working happens. on that. Yep. Envato, like Envato grew so quickly. And by the way, I don't, I don't, wanna, um, I don't want to shame Envato in the least because I think Envato is a fantastic company. And what they've done is unbelievable and they're incredibly generous. Every year they, they, they donate so much money to all of these different causes. So um, I'm saying this more just... And working at any business, yeah, you sometimes yeah. get to a point where you feel like, I need a change. I need a little more say in things. I want to feel like my opinion actually matters. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the impetus for for starting Malaricast. Okay. Um, so I can't believe that we're already at time, but we're already at time, but I, I can't Ooh. cut it just yet. So I've got to figure out what are, of my many remaining questions I'm going to ask. So... Um, just for a fun one, a while back you talked about working four-hour days um, and switching up kind of what your relationship to work looked like. And, you know, you and I joked together a little about about how viable that was. But what I love is the idea that the nine-to-five, the working for somebody else, um, you know, all those things might not be the only way to succeed. Um, but I also always have a lot of caveats from my experience working as a freelancer about just how miserable being a freelancer can be at some times. And I think people think, I don't want to work for myself. I want to start my own company. And I always tell them, if you start your own company and you have employees, you're going to spend more time managing than doing the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other piece is, I'm, I don't want to work for somebody else. I'll go freelance. And then I talk about all the things we've talked about here. So you kind of have a little bit of all of these experiences. Now, you don't have... Um, 
full-time employees at Laracast, so maybe there's you haven't gotten to that misery part, but it seems like you've got the sweet spot where you're not worrying as much about getting the next client. Now, obviously, if everybody unsubscribed, that'd be a problem, so there's still a concern, but you also, you know, you have agency and control. Um, knowing that not everybody's going to go start a Laracast, um, but also having said things in the past, you've talked about how nine to five doesn't work for everybody. You've talked about how college doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have any advice that you would give to the, you know, the myriad PHP and Laravel developers who are listening to this right now that might help them explore maybe a little bit less traditional ways of kind of like doing our jobs? Sure. It's difficult, right? Because what, what makes sense for somebody may not make sense for other people. Mm-hmm. So I think some people very much thrived in college. And they consider it one of the the greatest decisions they made. Some people, I think, need that nine to five job. Um, Other people, it doesn't work for them. It's it's a very difficult thing. It all comes back to to personality, which we've talked about. Uh, The the four hour workday for for anyone. So Matt's given me a little trash over this. So I I recorded a podcast (laughs) a long time ago, uh, right when I had a baby. And I was experimenting with this idea of two hours, two times. So the idea was like right when my baby was born, for, for anyone who has kids, it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. And because I ran my own business, it wasn't like I could just say, okay, I'm taking three months off. Because if I take yeah. three months off, there's nobody there to respond to your support request. So I tried, I took two weeks off, but then beyond that, I was trying to do a little bit. So I was experimenting with this idea of two hours, two times of where I would take two hours in the morning and really focus. No, no social media, no telegram, nothing, just serious focus for a full two hours and it's actually amazing what you can get done uh, in a two-hour span if you're seriously focusing, when most mm-hmm. people don't. Most people, you do a little bit, and then suddenly we're talking on Telegram, and that's 10 minutes, and you're like, oh, God, i got to get back to work. Uh, but my idea was doing that two different times, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And my hope was that four hours total, if you really focus, can equal the seven or eight hours that most people do. Right. In hindsight, probably not. But... Uh, but I love it as an experiment. I yeah. love the fact that you're asking those questions. Yeah. So, and, and you know what? I actually did get a lot. It was enough for that period when the baby was born where I really needed to focus a lot of my energy on the baby and, of course, my wife, um, who had a hard time. But it was a good experiment. And I think that's the important thing is just to ask questions and, and change things up. The whole idea of a 9 to 5 or a Monday through Friday, somebody invented that not that, not that long ago. Somebody decided, oh. This is this is optimal. We're gonna have people do Monday through Friday, right. eight hours a day. But it was just some guy who thought it up. That doesn't mean that's that's the rule. Uh, some companies are now embracing four day work weeks, where they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Uh, some are trying this idea of still forty hours, but you do ten hours a day, four days a week. Uh, so so it's I, I like that people are experimenting with different ways. But I even notice some days if if I take a short day or something, I feel bad because I think well nine to five is the the standard it's the standard it's the responsible adult way but i stopped at two o'clock and i'm a terrible person and i have to remind myself like nope uh you do the work that you that you need to do and it is hard with the nine to five with some people because it just depends on on your job but sometimes you got most of your work done by three or four o'clock and then you see workers kind of just hanging for an hour you know they're sneaking social media in or something like that not sneaking, but you know what I mean, right? Where it's yeah, like absolutely. they're filling in the time because they're Your basically brain's too dead to actually do the work at the end right, of the day anyway. You're already thinking about the evening. Right, but you're right. stuck there. But you're stuck there. And I hate that too, because it's like, well, it should be if you've done, like we should have enough 
faith in the people who work for us that if they're done, they got everything they could, then they should go. But there's that thing like, I got to wait till five or I got to wait till 530 before I can go home, even though I was basically done at four. That's a, that's, that's a hard thing. Uh, I don't know how to deal with it. I just like that people are experimenting with, with different ways of doing things at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I, I love, I love the idea that, um, the nine to five can get in the way for us to really be present for our families in the ways we want to be. And as someone who's been very vocally in support of the idea that, Hey, I get up in the morning, I put on my dress clothes, I go to a remote office, you know, not at my house and I work a nine to five and I come home, even though I don't have to, you know, I own the company and I'm a remote worker, so I don't have to. So I see a lot of value there. I'm, I'm very much the type that that works for me, but even so I still see the moments where like I, you know, miss something that happened with my son when he comes home from school in the middle of the day or whatever else. The good thing is that I have enough freedom that I just build that into it. And so I think one of the things I've found the most that maybe would go towards, hey, if you're working a nine to five, maybe one step in Jeffrey's direction is like seeing if you can split up the day a little bit. You know, my wife really wanted to go back and take acting classes for a while. So for a while there, every Tuesday and Thursday or something like that, I came home at 10 a.m., um, and took care of my son for a while while mm-hmm. my wife went off to school. She came back home and then I worked and I just worked an extra hour and a half at the end of the day or something. And not only was that, you know, like cool for her to be able to do that, but actually I found that splitting up the day that way was actually really interesting in my focus. And so that's why I love what you're talking about. You're like, can I actually focus more by doing basically a two hour Pomodoro twice a day? Exactly. Um, yeah. And if anybody hasn't heard about Pomodoro, just go Google Pomodoro, I'll put in the show notes. But it's it's the same kind of thinking of like, your brain can't be full focus for eight hours straight, right? And that's what I took the most away from what you were saying, at least with that, is you, yeah, you're just not going to be that We're not designed that way. Right. That's cool. All right. Um, well, my gosh, I can't believe how much longer I could talk, but I'm, I've been swearing to try and keep these closer, close to an hour. Um, are there parts of your story or your motivation or your day-to-day that kind of you feel like we haven't gotten a touch on yet? Um, no, I think I think we covered most of it, actually. So like sh- short of uh, getting into unrelated things like politics, which we don't want to do, um, <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good. I will. I will throw out one thing, and you can respond to this or not. I think that Jeffrey is one of my favorite people to talk politics with because he does not put up with partisan solutions in either direction. Yeah, and he does have his own opinions, but he's loath to let them be known too much because he's too busy poking holes in both sides of the partisan. And I like it. I, I, you know, I, I try to be as mid-level as I can be, but um, as someone who's really interested in like social justice and stuff, I'll lean a little left at times and broaching uh, any of those topics in a conversation with Jeffrey's there. I'm, I'm confident that nobody's going to, he's not going to let me sit there with a, an unexamined position. So uh, I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but I appreciate no, that. I think you and I agree far more than, than you give yeah, us yeah. credit for. But, well, um, no, we do, but you're but you're you're a good devil's advocate, if nothing else, right? Yeah. Like it's not even that we disagree, but you you push things to be examined, and I appreciate that a lot about you. Good, thank you, appreciate that. This was fun. I had a lot of fun doing this. Me too. Um, any shout outs? Go go to lyricasts.com. Go shine up. He's also got like a, a billion other ones. There's viewcasts.com, and it's all the same. I yeah, just it all, buy it all a, ends up at Lyricast. I, so. I buy custom domain names for for main series that I'm trying to promote. Mm-hmm. So you can go to viewcast.com, but it's just going to Laracast. So all you need to remember is uh, Laracast.com. Check it out. I like it. Um, Jeffrey, this was a ton of fun. I tell this to everybody, and it's true every time. I could talk for another two hours and enjoy it. It's so, amazing how quickly it goes by. It goes by really I know. Fast. Blowing my mind. Jeffrey, thanks for your time. Thank uh, you, this man. is a ton of fun. <laughs>